Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Premier-designate uh, David Evie says he'll be introducing significant initiatives to tackle the issue of housing, healthcare, the environment and public safety in his first uh, 100 days in office. He was speaking to the media and a crowd of supporters at the Chan Centre in his Vancouver Point Grey riding today. E.B. also said he is firmly committed to not calling an election, an early election call before the next fixed date of October 19th, 2024. That's uh, good to hear. So two years away. Now, British Columbia's Premier Desident David Eby says he will focus on making the province a better place to live after he is sworn in as Premier in November. I'm setting down a marker today on these priorities for our government. Housing, health care, the environment, public safety. At the end of those 100 days, you will have seen announcements, activity from government focused on delivering results for British Columbians that uh, set out the groundwork for how, in the next two years, we are going to deliver significant change for British Columbians. It is a short window for government. You all know that. Two years in government goes like this. But we have to move quickly, and we have to address these issues for British Columbians. They're counting on us to do that. Now, leadership races actually are the easy part. They probably didn't feel like that the last uh, well, 48 hours for Mr. Eby. But he now begins transitioning into government where he will receive in-depth briefings from all ministers, ministries uh, on the pressing issue uh, facing British Columbians ahead of his swearing in as Premier, uh, of course, in the coming weeks. Now, once sworn in, Mr. Eby will be British Columbia's 37th Premier, meaning only 36 other individuals have held that position. Our next guest is one of them. Christy Clark was British Columbia's 35th Premier, serving from 2011 to 2017. She knows the demands of the job and has a unique perspective in what will be required when you move into the Premier's office. Christy, thank you for joining us today. Always great to be back with you, Dad. Thank you. Moving into the Premier's office, Mr. Eby is now the NDP leader. Uh, He still has to be sworn in, but you went through that uh, same process. It'll be a little different, but essentially... Your move to the premier's office. What? How daunting was that move? Um, it's uh, daunting. Isn't really how I would describe it. It was just everything was different than I expected. I think first thing is you get in there, and I'm already, he knows what the premier's office looks like, and he knows how it played out. And so did I. But you get in there, and um, you want to meet all the people first and find out what they do for a living. And some of them don't want to stay. And some of them do, and some of them you don't want to stay, and you know some of them do anyway. So it's going through that process of, okay, what are my priorities? How are we going to organize the workload here? What's the focus going to be? Do we have the people we need to do that? And who do we have to replace? Because they liked the old person in the office, you know, in my case, Gordon Campbell, a lot more than they liked me. In regards to that, I mean, uh, I guess picking the right staff and making those changes is so vitally important, isn't it? I mean whether it's an organization in the private sector or the premier's office, uh, you not only need the right people, but you need somebody with that special political lens. You do, you do. And, you know, I think um, that uh, Premier Horgan will have left him with some good people. And 
um, I think New Democrats are less likely to go back out into the private sector when the premier changes than probably people from uh, the the kind of the more business oriented parties. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there might be some of them that like you know he's been fighting with a long time that he just wants to get rid of. You know, it's, there's that kind of stuff. But part of it, I think, the, maybe the most important part is what is his priority going to be? I mean, he's going to have a set of five things that he really is determined to get done that are going to be his legacies. And does he have the people that he needs that he trusts in the office to help him make sure he can execute on that stuff? Because every premier is going to have a different uh, way of operating. And from what I can tell, David Eby is a guy who stays up birds of midnight oil um, and, you know, really makes, I'm going to guess, pretty strong demands on his staff. And I think, you know, it, it may be that some of the folks from the previous premier's office just don't want to, you know, that maybe you don't want to work quite as hard as David Eby's probably going to try and make them. Uh, in regards to uh, those five things, I once uh, spoke to a cabinet minister, a former cabinet minister, and he told me that he'd have a list of maybe four or five or six things he wanted to get done in his ministry. He would share it with his deputy minister, and he would put it on a sheet of paper in an envelope uh, and keep it on, uh, at his desk. Uh, um, uh, and he would look at it every once in a while. Nobody else would know what that was on that list except him and the deputy minister. But they would always go back to that list. Are we moving this five, these five things that we really want done? The rest of the day, the rest of your tenure may be putting out fires and dealing with process, but are we getting these five things pushed through for what I believe are the important things and for my legacy? Is that similar to what a premier has to do? It is. And what's interesting, though, for David Eby, I think, is that he didn't go through a, a kind of a, an intensive leadership campaign or an intensive election campaign to get there. And so, and I was a little bit half and half. I ran on a leadership campaign of bringing everybody together and, you know, talking about families and, and, you know, more take-home pay and those kinds of things. And that what became our guide for the next couple of years. But as you remember, they were messy, right? There were a lot of people in my caucus who did not want me to be the leader. But after the election campaign, we had a full, we had a full platform that we'd developed um, and that we'd made public, and that really became the guide for everybody. I mean, that was every ministry had its goals, and every you know, and the premier's office had it, our goals, and the civil service was able to organize around that as as were the staff. So for David, I think it's going to be a little bit different than that because he doesn't have this long set of publicly stated goals. And I think you know the story that you've told could be really helpful for him is to sit down and. Think about what that is, but I, I think he should probably share those five or ten goals really widely and with the public, because if he wants to focus an organization as big and as complicated as the government of British Columbia, um, everybody in the province needs to know what it is he wants to do and what it is he's trying to do. I think that's the most effective way to make sure that people are really doing what they're supposed to be doing and are going to be able to be held accountable for achieving that. Uh, you talked a little bit about uh, caucus. Speak to me about just managing a caucus of individually elected MLAs who have hopes, aspirations, uh, constituency needs. What's it like managing a caucus? Because he's going to have to now because he has certain friends, others that perhaps didn't support him. Uh, generally, it seems like he's got a good support with his caucus, but you still have to manage people. Speak to me a little bit about managing caucuses that you know have 55 individual MLAs. Yeah, it's hard. And part of it is that everybody believes they should be in cabinet. And almost everybody, I'm sure, has 
a good reason or something that they could do or, you know, some something that they could add. But they can't all be in it, obviously. He had a lot of people who supported him for leader. And, you know, usually those are the people that will be rewarded with a cabinet post or a parliamentary secretary role. Um, uh, but, you know, he's going to have to think about the regions of the province as well. He's going to be thinking about women's representation and, um, you know, for other other um, groups in the province being being well represented. So it's just, you know, it's kind of a, it's putting together a big puzzle because you also, the you know, the Ministry of Finance, the Ministry of Attorney General, don't just go to anybody. I mean, <laughs> those are two roles where you can't just say, well, you know what, I want to have uh, a person from the Kootenays doing this job and it has to be a woman and it should be a woman of color. Like, it just, you can't, it's too hard a job to just give to anybody. But there are some jobs, you know, that you could, that lots of people could do. So he's got to match the job, the region, the insure equity is there. He's going to want to reward the people that supported him. And he, you know, he may decide that there are some people he'd rather see moving out before the next general election. And it might be he'll be sitting down with a few of them having a talk and saying, you know what, you're not going to be in cabinet. Not uh, not that you haven't done a good job, not that I don't like you, but I need to make some space for some new folks, folks and I prefer you don't run again. Uh, now, Christy, the challenges before uh, Mr. E.B. Uh, would include housing, crime, and of course, health care and transportation. Speak to me a little bit here on the issue of housing and crime specifically, uh, because they are the big issue right now. Do you think it's possible for the provincial government to bring in broad provincial legislation that can actually deal with some of these local challenges? I don't think they can do it alone. I mean, they're going to have to do it in concert, in particular with the cities of Vancouver and Surrey, both of whom, both of which have mayors, new mayors. I think that Vancouver is likely to be a hostile environment for uh, Premier Edie, um, just because they're ideologically so different. I think that in Surrey, there'll be a lot of more, lot more space to get along because Brenda Locke's just probably a less, you know, committed conservative than I think the Vancouver group is. I think so. I, I, but there has to be cooperation between the two because you know the thing is is that the city cities build housing, cities zone housing. Cities are the ones that decide what goes where and what's going to be in it. The province doesn't do that. The province funds the funds the projects and has some say about what they're going to fund. But if the city doesn't feel like building it, it's not going to happen. So he is going to have to forge. You know, and I know he talks a lot about uh, you know improving the housing the housing situation in Vancouver, he's going to have to forge some very strong and deep relationships um, with mayors. And I don't think that's necessarily going to be easy because it's, it just, it never is. And I think on the crime side, again, it's a similar problem. Municipal police forces that are being directed in large part by municipal police boards. It's not that easy to go in and say, well, here's what you have to do. What they can do is they can provide resources to them. Um, we did that with guns and gangs in Surrey when the RCMP said, ah, you know, we don't have the money to do anything about, do anything more about guns and gangs. And the province actually came up with the money to, to, to help them with that. He can do those kinds of things, but um, that is always the challenge of being a premier is you can't just reach in, just like Justin Trudeau can't, you know, uh, fix, change healthcare or education because it's a premier's job. A premier can't, just go in and fix housing and crime without without really strong relationships at that municipal level. I think it's going to be tough. I would say too, though, Jazz, I think 
the he's going to be very focused on crime and housing and the things that are really important in the lower mainland. And one of the things I really hope he decides to also pay attention to, which is not necessarily his political world, is to pay attention to what's going on outside Vancouver, because that's where our economy begins. And without the rural parts of this province really um, firing on all cylinders, the Vancouver economy and the Burnaby economy and the Surrey economy will start to sag and ultimately collapse. So there's the political stuff, the stuff that's going to help you get reelected in Vancouver and the lower mainland. But then there's the bigger picture of trying to do the right thing as the premier and think about how you create economic growth and jobs. Well, it's going to be a fascinating uh, ride for him and, uh, and, and for people like me to watch from afar and you as well. Thank you so much for your time today, Chris. Really appreciate it. Yeah, always great to talk to you, Jess. Thanks for having me.